Hello and welcome to episode two of the running. Uh, today we're going to be talking through the first two races of the Orienteering World Cup, round one in Finland in Helsinki. We'll also be having an interview with Sasha Cheplin from the GB team. He was running this weekend at the races in Finland. And we'll be having a little look forward to the uh, Eucala Relay, which is next weekend as we're speaking now. And looking forward to who was going to win the Venla Relay for the women, the Eucala Relay for the men. You probably can hear the um, tree noise, the wind noise. Uh, Will, why don't you describe where we are right now? We are currently sitting on the decking outside the GB accommodation for this weekend's World Cup. Very nice, surrounded by the Finnish forest, kind of locked in. We're next to a water park, very nice swimming lakes next door, so there's been a team swims every night. Fantastic, uh, and we're in the bit, a bit of the middle of nowhere. I had to like drive through some really narrow little tracks, little forest tracks to get here. It's quite nice. Yeah, no, it is. It is lovely. It's a bit weird. There's uh, some <laughs> some building workers kind of living down the way. Well, we're both here because of the World Cup, the first round of the World Cup. There, um, as we said before, there's four rounds of the World Cup held each year. Uh, later this year, we will have um, Switzerland, Norway and China but the first three races have all uh, been taking place in Finland. Uh, I've been commentating, you've been running Will. Yep. So first up was the middle distance uh, in Nixio National Park. Tell me a little bit about the terrain and about the course and how you found it as a competitor. I guess we can start with the uh, the model event on, on Friday. So this is a chance for every competitor to get a look and see what the organisers think the most relevant terrain is. So they put it on a an area which is relatively similar to what you'd be facing. Sometimes they put it in what is like to be a lot nicer than what you're racing. So that just gives you kind of a, a five kilometer, six kilometer course to get your eye in for the terrain. So I was expecting it to be really nice, open, um, kind of relatively flat forest with you know really nice rolling open rock with just point features that you had to pick out anyway quite vague uh combined with some quite steep hills steep crags and really technical little outcrops out in the terrain what we got was probably quite a lot scrappier than myself and a lot of people were expecting there was a lot of fallen trees on the ground a lot more green on the map than we we first thought and the visibility was a lot lower than we first thought um and yeah it was quite physical as well and the heat was playing a big part in the day so it was up around 30 32 degrees on the saturday for the middle distance and that really played havoc with quite a few people in their races which i'm sure we'll get into later but it was a uh, quite a technical um middle distance we were thrown straight into a patch of green forest kind of looking out for rocky point feature controls for quite a lot of the time we started in what was the nicer section through the first controls I had a long leg on the second leg to get you into the map i was probably a bit too conservative the whole way around um choosing you know, more round routes and and safe routes than i should have done because even though it was quite scrappy the best decision was always to go straight in this yeah. terrain there, there was no compromising if you went straight you were going to go well if you went round you were losing time mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty good assessment i pre-ran part of the or actually most of the women's middle distance and yeah had the same assessment the first part was like much nicer um lots of bare rock lots of that kind of stuff and then you were thrown into the slope yeah so the terrain on the on the western side was kind of hugged by a lake and then the field that the arena was in. So you're always kind of 
kept high on this slope that had a lot of crag on it, a lot of fallen trees and a lot of rock detail. And you had to do a lot of slopo on and off that as you went into the second half of the course. And that seemed to play with a lot of people quite badly. So coming onto it at halfway, you had this very vague leg um, where you had to have really good direction coming over, dropping onto the slope and trying to hit just a single boulder in re-entrant coming over the top. And a lot of people drifted on the bearings coming across to that control and lost quite a bit of time. Luca Basset was a big one, uh, French chap uh, that was probably on for a, a top six place in the podium mm, yeah, at the start of the day. Really well. Yeah, he was. And uh, he's still, I think he was still 12th at the end. So he, given the amount he lost, he lost two or three minutes on that leg. So yeah, he was he would have been quite disappointed. And then we, we kind of turned north out of that control and started heading along the slope for the next two, three kilometers. And you were just kind of dropping onto it, coming off it, dropping onto it, coming up from it again. So it was really physical in the heat, trying to get back up the hill through the rock through the trees and hit your next control cleanly so i think people as we were going through that were starting to suffer more and more and just took the lapse of concentration and and started you know drifting too low drifting too high and, and making mistakes in the commentary box we were expecting people to make mistakes particularly in the second half of the race where the visibility was lower there were these fallen trees that like actually seemed bigger on the ground than they were marked on the map. They were marked on the map with the like green uh, undergrowth lines, um, but they were quite extensive. Um, but we weren't expecting people really to make mistakes to the first TV control, which was on the men's control number five. But actually the competitors did split up there and there were actually quite a few mistakes. Mm. So a lot of people got caught out by the fourth control, uh, the one before the TV, uh, coming across from leg uh, control number three. It's quite vague coming out of it. You were you'd just come across a really nice patch of uh, of open, clear forest, really visible. Dropping down this hill into a vague entrant, you hit the control. You turn right. So turning out of the control, you just had to get your head up, and you're faced with a bit of a green screen for a marsh. And I think that's what threw people off because you just had to cross this one hilltop, a few boulders on your right hand side, over a ditch. You hit a path, and you were straight over it into a gap between two hills and then that led you into the re-entrant which took you down to the control and it seems quite simple just everything's on a straight line but everyone just seemed to drift way off to the left mm. and there's a, a bit of a, a a block of settlements off to the left hand side and a lot of people myself included kind of drifted off down to the left hand side i was caught by a small hilltop just to the to the south east of the control and managed to bend back in but People just go and complete walkabout. I think Ingve um, Skogstad of Norway oh, yeah. had a huge mistake. <laughs> and this just shows it looks like a relatively simple course mm. when you're looking at it. Everything just guides you into each control. And he drifted completely 90 degrees in the wrong direction, exactly the distance he had to travel, which shows the skill of his kind of distance judgment, but into a completely different part of the area. And I think he lost maybe five minutes or something down there. So he was, he was running really well, but yeah, he was just playing havoc with people. Yeah, and I think also maybe that's something to do with the pressure of it being the first World Cup round. A lot of people aren't necessarily sure where they're standing at that particular point. They don't really know what their orienteering's like. It, I mean, it hugely varies across across like the competitors and everyone's starting in world ranking reverse world ranking order it like puts a lot of pressure on you and you know and it, you're racing for your country as well so the best ranked start last the the, the worst ranked start first um so it almost kind of preempts the result list 
anyway because well that's kind of a tv thing partly as well it's partly a running in the forest thing and it's partly a we want the last starter to be the winner it has the best story but yeah keep going yeah yeah it gives the most excitement for the spectators watching and it builds the excitement during the day but it kind of makes you feel as an earlier starter that you've really got to try a bit harder maybe because you know that it's only going to get faster as as the race goes on and it and it tracks up as the race goes on and that guides you in that last 50 meters before a control the last like the first 50 meters out of it i can really clean up your entry and exits into the circle so there is some more pressure especially if you're in a team like scott stab was for uh, norway he's coming to the team you know they've got eight spots only three people go to walk you know there's a lot of pressure for them to perform and get one of those three spots for a home walk this year and people just try that bit too hard. They try and catch the person in front of them. It's only a 90 second gap for the middle distance. So it, you know, if you make a small mistake, 90 seconds can close very easily. Well, let's have a little run through the results. It was won, it was won by uh, Gustav Bergman in uh, 30 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, second place, Frederick Tronchon from France. And third place, Olaf Lundenez uh, from Norway. He's uh, ranked in number one in the world going into this anyway. Gustav's had a lot of problems with his back I think over the last kind of year and a half year so I spoke to him in the quarantine beforehand and he seemed pretty confident but he was he's always seemed quite unsure about how his back would kind of cope in certain forests so it was really nice to see that it didn't didn't affect him and um yeah that he could get a result on the board because it's I don't think he wins as much as he maybe should and he's always seemed to leave a little bit out there or make a mistake just at the end that's cost him the win very much a big fan of uh, Frederick Tronchond as well. Really nice guy, really down to earth, and it's great to see him get a get a medal. I think he's had a long winter training in Canberra in Australia. Uh, he was living down there with his girlfriend for six seven months, so it's uh, it's really nice to see that he can you know come back into the finished terrain. He's lived here for a couple of years now, so that he can get a medal and and start performing in the forest as well, because traditionally he's been more of a more of a sprint oriented, and yeah. Olaf's Olaf. He's just the best. Yeah, any forest event, he's he's always going to be one everybody else is looking out for. Yeah, he's always a danger. I think he's always going to be in the conversation for a top three at, at any forest race. Well, the best of the Brits was uh, Ralph, Ralph Street, who was uh, 24th in uh, 35 minutes and 21 seconds. Seems like he had a pretty good run. Maybe it looks like he went a bit further right to control number 15, not, not taking that straight route choice. Mm-hmm. And and a little bit, and once one of people, this is based on the GPS, having a little bit of problems to control 19, which was the, the last one in the forest as you're dropping down into the slope, which so many people had um, problems mm-hmm. with just being slightly off the line. Didn't help by the, the kind of the forest on the top is quite vague and then you're having to cut down yeah. to the to the slope and everything um yeah and on 19 as well there was also a spectator control from the spectator races uh just off to the to the right hand side of it so people were dropping down hitting that flag and then having to turn left and go down to our controls but ralph you know he said um really good technical race and he, he seemed pretty happy with the technical performance but just legs not there um i think top 20 is now where ralph's expecting to be and and what he wants so I think and he's more than good enough to be to be doing that. Yeah, um, Hector Haynes, uh, he was pulled into the squad uh, reasonably last minute um, uh, after Chris Millard's uh, had to withdraw due to injury. He was forty uh, fifth. Did he say he had a good good run? Yeah, I think Hector seemed seemed pretty happy. He was just a, a minute or so, minute and a half down. And Ralph, I think Hector's quite a, a perfectionist. He always 
always wants that bit more, always wants a, a bit of a better result. And I think he probably could have had it. He was a bit scrappy in places, he said. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good performance considering how late he came into into the team. I think it was about around about a week to go. And and the fact he had to change all his plans and what he's building to for Euclid. So no, it's it really nice to see him get a good result out of it coming in so late and, and not having the focus from the JK like the rest of us had. And then Will, you were next, you were 61st. Yeah, I had a, a little bit of a scrappy run looking back at it. I was relatively pleased when I finished. Um, I was good in the first half. I came a little bit unstuck on the 10th control and 11th control. Just before then on the 7th, I, I got a bit panicked in the green, trying to hit a knoll that was covered by a, a lot of um, tree roots and, and a tree stock, a root stock. And I just missed a bit hesitant there and then tried to be really safe for the next few and then chucked a cup of water over my head at number nine, didn't refocus, didn't reset my compass, mm. drifted way off for 10 and that uh, caused me to rush a bit for 11, drifted off similar to, to Luca Basset, not as bad, um, but drifted offline to number 11. I had to cut back for a whole load of grot again to get to that control and, and that just pushed me back a little bit. And then the last, yeah, last three or four controls just made a couple of 10 second 15 second mistakes inside the circle on each one and and when you're at this level that's quite a lot you know 45 seconds you drop i don't know five positions all of a sudden yeah. so i'm mostly pleased that i didn't stuff it up mentally i've normally struggled with getting to internationals and completely um you know kind of blowing a gasket mentally and and caving under the pressure so i didn't do that it was all quite normal routine a normal process and and getting through the day just as if it was a race in Britain. So that's what I was most pleased with. These things take time. And actually, because I pre-ran the women's middle distance, and then I also had a, a kind of just a run out on the women's chasing start map. And I've just been, I've been thinking how, how much this terrain is not second nature to me. Mm. It, it doesn't come easy. I can go and blast around a forest in the south of England, like there's no tomorrow and feel like that is second nature. I've been doing that all my life. But out here, I, I felt like when I was doing the middle distance, it was a learning process for me. Mm. I was learning what the terrain looked like okay this is what this bare rock looks like this yeah. is what these boulders look like this is what the green looks like this is what even like the tracks look like mm. and it's like I was um you know doing an exam and was learning the stuff whilst I was doing it <laughs> I, I hadn't you know I'd not done any revision and not even learned the stuff beforehand so that I could put together and you know just it all be about the execution I was like learning this stuff yeah and it just made me think like for some of these runners it is second nature to them and I mean they've also been doing it in this terrain their whole life as well yeah and it made me like realize I think what an advantage that is and maybe like how difficult it is as a Brit coming over here to do that and how much more I think effort you have to put in mm. oh completely and you look at someone like Daniel Hubman who this weekend did his 140th World Cup race and the amount of times he's had to sit in quarantine go through that process of being there for three, four hours, warming up, you know, going to the start box, getting his GPS vest on, getting the GPS tracker, all of that, you know, the whole process of going through it, he's had to do it over a hundred times. Um, and we just don't have that. And all these guys who race in Scandinavia regularly, they have quarantines regularly, they have GPS tracking regularly, you know, all of the touch free they have on a regular basis. And yeah, it just becomes second nature. It's just, it's not unusual for them to have a GPS tracker on the back. Whereas in Britain, we have it what maybe once a season if that 
Mm. Uh, maybe we've used it at the Scottish Six Days, but we don't use it at the JK or the British Champs. And it's such an advantage for them to just have those small processes that we then have to stress that bit more about. And then with the terrain, if if people aren't working full time, they can come and do training camps in this and, and you know do three sessions a day. It's just that amount of practice they can put in on the relevant stuff is just a bit more than what we can do or certainly I can do mm. at, at present. So it does make a massive difference, um, which is why I was you know, really pleased the first time into this terrain and then didn't kind of stuff it up. But you, you see that people come to this terrain for years and years and some of the fins were messing up. So it, it can be complete luck of the draw <laughs> on the day as well. It can. Um, back to the results there. Pete Bray was uh, 74th in 40 minutes 17. Mm, yeah, Pete was quite frustrated by a mistake he made on that fourth control that we spoke about earlier. And I think that really cost him a, a, a good result in the top 60, top 50. He has been training quite a lot recently and, and increasing his level, increasing his fitness. And I think he really wants to put in a good one. And he was just, just that bit off it. Pete's the same, we're the same age, just building through, building forward. And it's, um, it's all about momentum. So he's got this one under his belt. He's got the shoes under his belt and he'll, he'll keep on building on those. Uh, and then Sasha was DSQ, Mr. Control out, I think, or I'm not really sure what the story is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, he missed a, a couple of controls um, without really uh, realizing it with the the emit tags. So um, I think he went, he definitely went to them, but he didn't. Yeah. I think punched them quite correctly, and I think the heat just cooked him completely and wasn't quite thinking straight. And yeah, 32 degrees is quite warm for us in Britain at the moment, so. He was quite happy about it, you know, he, uh, he, he got a run out in the terrain and, you know, again went through all of those processes to build through because he's only a second year senior. And then, uh, unfortunately, Alistair McLeod, uh, he retired on his course. Yeah, again, the heat com- just completely got to, uh, to Ali. He, I think he said at one point he was just seeing spots and, and couldn't see straight, even if he was walking, couldn't read the map. So it was, yeah, discretion is the better part of valour sometimes and just get out of the forest, you know, don't collapse out there because you'll be found in a couple of hours. So yeah, no, real, real big shame for Ali as well because he's in good shape. Like we chatted about before, he was fastest on the long night at Tiamila. He's, you know, he's clearly running really well, navigating well, but yeah, big shame, but he'll be back. Yeah, it will, I, it has been really, really warm out here. Yeah. I mean, I got off the plane and I felt like I was, I'd landed in Spain, yeah. not in Finland. It just, it was so, um, yeah, really, really tough conditions. And even I was running later in the evening and I, yeah, it was really, really, yeah. really difficult conditions. Yeah, not what you expect. <laughs> no, not what you expect at all. Well, um, let's move on quickly to the uh, women's race, which was won by Tova Alexanderson mm-hmm. uh, in just under 30 minutes. And then Natalia Gempeler from Russia was second and Marie Taney from Finland was third. Yeah, all on the podium at Wok. Last year, I think, so probably no surprises with who was in the medals. Um, yeah, Tove's, you know, she's just the strongest of, of them all out there. Natalia always seems to be second and must be getting a bit bored with... Well, she was, she's, her first uh, World Championships medal, sorry, gold medal, was in the middle distance at Walk last year when Tova Alexanderson missed a control, made a, the biggest mistake yeah. I've ever seen. Yes, so it was. I've forgotten about that, actually. Yeah, that was a howler of a mistake, wasn't it? Tove, I do wonder sometimes what she'd do on the men's course if she could run it. How many guys she'd beat? The women's course is pretty, uh, pretty similar to the men's. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly shorter legs than we had. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a couple of longer ones, but again, similar kind of going up and down those slopes on the rock. So similar challenges that they faced to us. Um, Marikatani, 
know, home favourite, you know, to get a medal. It was really good. And Natalia, yeah, she's always, always in second, always on the podium, consistent all the time, but just, you know, just that bit shy. Yeah, not quite as good as Alexanderson that day. Uh, moving on to the Brits, uh, Megan Carter-Davies was in 29th. Uh, her time, uh, 36.05. Really good run from Megan. She's really strong at the moment and to put in the top 30 international level is great. You know, it's just a sign of where she's building to, where she's moving towards. And the fact she can just, you know, kind of hop into the rain co terrain cold. She's working full time as well. Mm. And, and put in a top 30 performance is fantastic. And it bodes pretty well for WOC because with the size of the teams here, when you've got eight Swedes, eight Finns, eight Norwegians, eight Swiss, yeah. you're fighting against a lot more people than you mm. would be at WOC. So if you take those extra runners out, I think it'd be a top 20 at least. Yeah, there were 114 uh, on the start list for the women's race, 136 on the start list for the men's race. So that just gives you an indication mm. of how packed the field is. Yeah. Um, absolutely, stacked. <laughs> absolutely stacked. Absolutely um, stacked. Kat Taylor was the second of the Brits. She was uh, 41st. Yeah, Kat was quite frustrated with her run in the end. I think she expected a bit, a bit more from herself. And um, after the TV control at the sixth control, she kind of dropping into the slope at the seventh. She just made a bit of a, bit of a howl down there. It's a tough control the way the women were coming at it compared to the men. They were going a slightly more direct, maybe over the cliffs and earlier in the day as well. So they didn't have the same tracking that the men had. If you're going over the top, you can easily just drop over the wrong cliff at a different side, like section of the hill and think you're in a different place to where you are. So, yeah, tough one for Kat. That that happened relatively early on in the course, and she didn't get herself into it a bit more, but it's a good sign that she's you know, she's fit. Her injuries staying at bay that she's had over the winter with the Achilles, and uh, that she's you know, back in good shape and moving forwards. Uh, Charlotte Watson was 57th, 39 minutes and 20 seconds. I think Charlotte was pretty happy. A good race and a bad race in, in different bits, you know, pretty pretty steady. No major mistakes, no no real howlers, just a couple of slips in the circle here and there. But yeah, Charlotte's had quite a lot of life changes recently, moving to Norway, new work, new degrees, that kind of thing. So um, building forwards and uh, and building a place in the elite field. Yeah, well, she looked um, from the GPS tracking, she looked pretty good technically. So I think mm. there's a lot she can take from that performance, actually. Uh, Joe Shepherd was uh, 71st in 42 minutes, 21. Yeah, Joe was a bit disappointed again with with that one. I, th I think living in Norway, she's relatively used to this terrain. She's been living out there for quite a few years now, and I think she would have expected a bit more of herself. But you know, some some days you have a bad day at the office, and there's no real ex explanation for it. But Joe's been racing a lot out in Halden and doing quite well actually. So I think that would make her more disappointed in her performance today because she's. It seems like she's had mm. a pretty good spring. You know, she can. She should be able to go back to that and draw some confidence from that and and move forward with um, with her performances and you know she lives so close to the world championships mm. areas and it'd be really great to see um you know if she gets elected for that and then if she does what she can do in those terrains okay let's move on to um what we're not calling a shorter long distance because if we called it that it would have had to have been on a 1 to 15,000 map so it is the pursuit or the chasing starts, but it, in distance wise, women's winning time expected to be 59 and the men's about 75. They were both less than that, but mm. that's the kind of distances they were going, let's just say. Yeah, Will, what did you make of this, this terrain and, and the courses that you guys had? I, um, I loved the race, actually. I think it was fantastic fun. 
I haven't done a pursuit at this level before. I, I just, I, I loved it actually. It was 75 minutes of absolute agony and pain, but really, really fun. Uh, so the terrain was slightly different to the middle distance in terms of the runnability, I felt. So we went out to the east of the area and we didn't have the kind of really nice rolling open rock that we had in the first section of the middle distance. It was kind of condensed into this one channel. And out at the far end, we had this really, not, not that technical slope, it's quite green and it's quite a lot of crags that you had to get through and yes it got pretty physical not as physical in terms of the stuff that was on the floor but a lot more climb that we had to deal with kind of just going up and over a lot of different hills and there was a bit more track running that you could take advantage of on this one i think a few people in both races took wide open routes on the long on the long legs the way they gaffled it at the beginning was really good i i felt it was quite good it split people up quite a lot i didn't know who i was doing which which loop of the butterfly with at any point and, and quite a few people made mistakes doing that as well in kind of jumping a control or jumping a loop yeah i i really enjoyed commentating on it it was quite even though the winners of the middle distance you know kept their lead and they still retained their lead at the end of the chasing start there was enough you know interesting bits going along with with the, with the rest and some mistakes happening and um i thought it was really yeah really nice long legs really interesting long legs we had no idea what was going on with those gaffles either we didn't really know who particularly was doing what but it was it definitely seemed to split people up which was really nice and some mistakes were being made um yeah so gustav uh, Bergman won the men's race and uh, Frederick Tronchon maintained the second place. Uh, he was looking a little bit nervy out on the last few the last few controls, the long legs. And in fact, I think he said in post-race interviews that he there were a few moments on the, the long legs back towards the arena that he didn't actually know where he was and had to like just communicate. And you could tell that he was just, the way he was orienteering, he was just trying to like keep his race together all the way to the line because he knew there was he he hadn't seen really anybody out in the course and there was he knew there were loads of people chasing him so really good effort to like manage to hold together kind of like a crumbling race <laughs> nearly nearly lost it but not quite uh and magna daily the norwegian was third uh beating mika kimmler um who's uh, Finn in a sprint finish on the line and that was um, quite an exciting thing to see all the Finnish commentators to my right were going absolutely crazy and then I was told multiple times afterwards that um, the men uh, in the Finnish team haven't had a podium for like however many years it's been like the women in the Finnish team are much better than the men so they were mm. really excited to see um, you know someone on the podium for the men's yeah yeah right. they everybody was very excited but Will, you were the you were the first Brit back. Yeah, um, I managed to pick up quite a good train out there. To be perfectly honest with you, so out of the start gate um, in 61st, two seconds ahead of me was a Ukrainian Shubakov. Two seconds ahead of him was Pavel Kuba from Czech Republic. I opened the map, saw it was quite a long leg. Didn't really fancy going straight on my own. Turned out the start gate, saw Kubak heading left incredibly quickly and just paced it to get onto the back of him we ended up choosing this left-hand route going round on the paths to the first control mm -hmm. and to be honest with the first section on the track wasn't really looking at my map just making sure i was on his tail feeling quite good after the uh, after the middle distance physically so i knew that if i got to the spectator uh, the butterfly loop with him that i could 
you know, do my own navigation there, get through, and there'd be a lot of people around. So then we went into the butterfly and <laughs> seemed like all hell kind of broke loose. <laughs> I ended up going hard right on the small fly when most other people seemed to go straight or diagonally left out of the control onto the other two options. I picked up uh, Magna Dali for, for the end of that loop and then onto my next one, so I managed to get a little bit of a toe from him, although I still wasn't sure quite where he was heading. He was drifting off to the left of me and I wanted to stay further right and all this. So you weren't, you were never sure kind of who was on your, on your, on your gaffle. Yet yeah, then through the rest of the, of the butterfly loop, I was with an Estonian chap called Sander Vaha, who's um, a few people might know from living in Swansea for a little while, running for Swansea Bay on Touring Club. We went through the next section pretty cleanly, a little slip on the final control in the butterfly just as I caught sight of Hector Haynes so <laughs> knew that I was gaining on him like right okay like second Brits on not sure where Ralph is he's probably miles away <laughs> but I can do this got into this quite big train gradually started picking my way forward moving up I wanted to be sitting about second or third I didn't want to be kind of dictated to or let any gaps open because I knew if a gap opened I wanted to be with the fastest people of that group I didn't want to be I didn't want to be driving the pace myself because I knew that if I'm driving the pace and navigating then the group's not moving fast enough to really pick up places. Because to be honest, I'm not strong enough in this terrain to really run at my optimal speed and navigate at this at this stage. So managed to start picking up places sitting in a group that was led by Elias Kuka, who I think had missed one of the gaffles early on. So he'd gone from the first control straight to the third control of the butterfly, did a small loop and then had to start the butterfly again when he got to the second control. So yes, I saw that one on orienteering mistakes. Yes, yeah. yes, great Instagram yes. Uh, account if people want to go and see orienteering mistakes. So there's quite a few from the pursuit race on there. But yeah, so he had to redo a loop and ended up getting dropped back. I think he started in 26, just behind Ralph. So he dropped back to my train, and he was leading that for quite a while. So we picked up, gradually picked up a few more people, including Hector. Managed to see Ralph at control 14. Um, he was, I think he'd, he'd also made a mistake in the butterfly and gone straight through on one line when he was actually meant to go left on a diagonal. Disappointing for Ralph that he, he made that mistake early on. Yeah, he dropped to 53rd in the end, I think. Yeah, so lost about kind of 30 places, which is obviously pretty gutting for him. And we picked up him and then we had this map change coming up and I knew that it was going to be probably quite a pivotal option of either we'll be going into another butterfly or it'll be a massive long leg back to the arena because at this stage we're about three or four k out from from the arena where we had an, another passage to go through and another map change so scoffed down a the gel there so, so as not to have any break in the group where as soon as we punch the control pick up the map from the box and get going again and uh, so got the gel down got the control picked up the map bam massive long leg what do I do? Right hand route looks really nice out to the track. I think a few people did choose that. Yeah, Kibbert's choose Kibbert's and uh, Haddon. Joey Haddon did. Yeah. They were, but they are very fast. I mean, when I say, I mean very, very fast. They caught yeah. up time, but I don't think it benefited them overall. No, because I think they hit it w the track with uh, Gauter Hallensiver and they dropped him. They were much faster than him. Mm. Um, and he's not slow. And he's not slow, yeah. Um, so it was a good option for them. I'm not sure it would have been a good option for everybody. No, and I didn't have the guts to go solo. So I looked at it, I was like, well, anyone, anyone from the group going that way? Don't really fancy it solo. And it's a bit stupid if I, at this stage, 4K out from the arena, if I run solo away from the pack that I've managed to pick up places in. So it slotted in on this long leg and 
and what I was saying about the kind of getting prepped before the map change and before the control, so Hector said to me afterwards, he was sitting about five people further back than me in the train, and he said he just faffed that, that bit too much getting into the control, getting the map, and the, a couple of gaps had opened through the rocks and the crags going into it. Mm. So he just got a bit split off the back and they had kind of a second pack going on on that long leg mm. that wasn't going quite as fast as our one. So I think if he'd have been in my pack, he would have been with me through to the finish, but he ended up just losing about 30, 40 seconds maybe on that leg, just from being a bit out of touch as we picked up the maps. And then you're straight through on that long leg. To be honest, for the first half, I didn't look at my map. I didn't know where I was. Uh, kind of picked up contact about halfway through after we got, got past the lake that's bang on line to the control. And then kind of just cling on, went for a bit of a bad patch halfway along that leg as well but straight through past where we'd had the center point of the butterfly onto a road at the end like right bam know where i am let's navigate through to the control hit it cleanly like okay three controls to go through from the 19th control to the 20th started to tire started to bog down a bit in the marshes had an interesting point where a spectator from the spectator races <laughs> joined in the train to get towed along for a little while and, and got a bit surprised when i told him to get out of the way <laughs> so he was we'd been joined by another fin that we caught so there were three fins in front of me myself and then uh pavel so uh it was, it was quite interesting this guy suddenly jumped into the the middle of us like what are you doing get out of the way mate like, oh sorry i didn't realize like, started to fatigue a bit more and I was getting gapped a little bit by the fins and then managed to fall in a pretty deep marsh at number 20 which after we finished got a few comments we were like you looked absolutely knackered mate when you got out of that like yeah I was um got back in contact on the on the track there's a little bit of a split that opened just before the arena made a small mistake before the 23rd control everyone was drifting right in the pack and I should have had the confidence just to twist left slightly hit it solo and maybe I could have jumped like five places but I was too tired too tired to think straight and I'd been in the mindset of, of not doing that for the whole race and not risking it so yeah a bit disappointed with myself there but through the last controls and um, just got binned in the sprint finish by about five other guys which is a bit frustrating but um, managed to pip Kuka who'd done most of the work so that was, I felt a bit bad on that one but yeah it was, it was really good fun and nice to move into the top 50 which was kind of a small aim I'd set for myself prior to the start. So I really like this type of race in this real head-to-head -head format. I know a lot of people don't and don't think it's proper orienteering. And there were some comments after I'd finished in the pack that I was in. It was just in general, like, people weren't reading maps or, you know, it's not it's not fair. But you're giving you a lot at the start of the day and that's the race you have to race. And if you can't find enjoyment out of a head-to-head -head race, you know, I think there's something wrong with you. Because it was it was excellent fun. I really loved it. And the tense moment when it's just building and building and building to those last three controls of how am I going to beat that person next to me is great. The thing is, hearing you talk about this, there's so many tactics that mm. you wouldn't expect to be in that race. You know, where do I need to be in the pack? Do I go this group? What do I do about this changeover control? What am I expecting there to be after on the new map? And, oh, then, you know, do I need to change my tactics on this last loop mm. and, and take risks and do that? So, yeah, it's really good. Uh, Hector was in 51st. Ralph was in 53rd. We kind of covered most of, like, their races. Pete Bray was in 72nd. Um, I chatted to him afterwards, sounded like he was doing really well with a really good mm -hmm. pack and then decided or ended up breaking from the pack on the long leg west and 
he I think he thought they were making a mistake and he ended yeah. up making a parallel mistake lost six minutes on that leg and when he was coming through the arena passage he could see that group that he was with all finishing he yeah. would have had I think a really good time yeah. um, if he if he hadn't done that one I haven't seen GPS for either Sasha or Alice the Clouds they both started right at the end because they um, were disqualified or retired but Sasha ended up finishing 98th and Alice the Clouds ended up finishing 110th yeah, I think Sasha missed out a loop for the butterfly as well, so I think he was actually disqualified in the oh. end. <laughs> Which, yeah, two days in a row, sadly. But uh, Ali had a really strong run, I think, pulling up time. It's hard when you're in that position at the back. But Ali had a really strong run, I think, and just he did a bit of damage to his leg on the slope just before the arena. So I think that just knocked him back on the final loop and he, he took the kind of put the brakes on a little bit. But Sasha, as well, was, was running really strongly and, uh, yeah, just frustrating that he he didn't see one of the loops on the map and just carried on through on the normal fly bit instead of doing the extra small one. But I think they were both rolling really strong, head to head all the way and, and trying to push each other as, as much as they could. It was actually a really complicated loop. It wasn't mm. just a normal butterfly loop. It was, it was yeah. um, definitely way more complicated than that. And uh, the women's course uh, was won again by Tova Alexanderson. She managed to keep her lead despite doing a small mistake uh, on one of the butterfly controls. Second was Marie Cataney, who managed to pull up mistake. Gempela, I, I, I still don't understand what she did wrong, but she went out of one of the butterfly controls as if she were had already finished it, mm. and then and then realised and turned back and did the rest of the loop. So I, I, I have a feeling that was what she did, but yeah, it was a bizarre mistake for someone strange. of her calibre. Third was Camilla Olarsson from Norway, who... Yeah, it's had really great, uh, in all the races, the forest races she did last year in the World Cup, she got a top five position in all of them. Mm. And going into Norway World Championships, this is going to give her a, a lot of confidence. I think she'll be going for a medal in, in Norway, yeah, definitely. She's been injured for quite a few years prior to last year, so she started quite early in the walk long last year and, and held on for quite a long time, I think, to, to keep a fifth place, which is not really seen that much normally it's obviously as we said before the last starters mm -hmm. who get the best results so it's great to see that you know she's young she's not one of the maybe established names on the international scene she is now after the last 12 months that she's going into a home world championships with a shot of a medal and a real chance especially in that long distance i think she's really strong in that discipline yeah, it'd be really great to see a, a home medal, I think, at those World mm. Championships. And the Brits, Kat Taylor was the um, best Brit home. Didn't seem like she made any obvious mistakes on her race. She was 33rd. Yeah, no, Kat had a really good run yesterday. Pulling up places all the way. First time she's finished a long distance in 12 months or so. Yeah, no, really pleased that she could she could finish it off and, and get results on the board in that discipline, which she's kind of, I think, been struggling to get her head around maybe as well. Uh, since having this injury and, and getting that confidence that she's got the fitness to do that you know, that amount of time and then hopefully by walk in August she'll have that bit more fitness that she you know, she can feel like she can really attack those longer races and, and put in a good performance but no really good to see that she bounced back from what was a disappointing middle distance to have a good result. Uh, Megan Carter-Davies was next she was uh, 37th uh, I think she was a bit disappointed with her run yeah, I think she expected to pick up some places rather than lose them, which obviously is the aim for anyone in a chasing start, but she probably felt that she was just as competitive as anyone else who she was starting around, and it's a learning process with these chasing starts. 
you just learn to cope with that pressure and cope with those people around you and what they're doing and and how they're acting and where they're going so yeah a bit disappointed for Megan that she she couldn't hold on to that top 30 spot which would have been some really good world cup points for her and really good ranking points moving to the Watt races later in the year because startless there are based on world ranking as well so that would could have set her up for a really good result at, at what and then charlotte watson was 53rd and joe shepherd was 81st both kind of here and there about the results charlotte again similar to the middle distance just steady ticking stuff off getting the job done you know no major risks taken and and, and no major mistakes had joe again like we said before she'll be a bit disappointed with with what she did compared to who she trains against and and where she expects herself to be you know lost a few places as well I know for the last couple of days she's really been struggling with her sleep. It's been so hot out here. The chat in the quarantine's been how much, how little people have been sleeping. So she's really been suffering with with the sleep, and that's probably affected her probably a bit more than most. So jumping forward, we're just on the train after the sprint relay. Um, Will, you were which leg did you run? Third leg. Um, it was one. Let's go. It was won by uh, the Swedish team: uh, Alexanderson, Svensk, uh, Berryman, and then uh, Olsen on the last leg. Uh, the Swedish, no, the, the Swiss team was second, and then in third place, um, it was actually Sweden too, but the third nation was the Czech Republic. Okay. Let's focus on the terrain and how the British team did. So, Will, from your perspective, how was it? Uh, pretty fast and furious, really. That's the main thing to take away. So. Um, the terrain was city centre of Helsinki. We started in the central square of the town. Massive crowd on the steps underneath the Senate building. Um, crazy crowds, really. We had a spectator leg straight through the middle of them up some stairs and just a wall of noise hitting you. Um, so we yeah, started... I've, I've never seen anything like yeah, it. I've never it heard anything like it. Like the cheers as people entered the, like as the leaders particularly um, entered the arena was incredible it was yeah. really good really good planning from the organization team i thought yeah yeah it's fantastic and it was a bit surreal the way we started off so in quarantine it was about maybe 800 meters away from the arena as a school and we got taken out in our groups in single file kind of like a formula one style procession behind the safety car and we dropped into this subterranean shopping mall <laughs> like going along past these the alleyways off to tram stops and things like that just the public seeing what we were doing it's really quite odd came out round a corner into the square just see the crowds going mental as the first leg women were, were running through and yeah it was it was really quite chaotic it felt with with the noise and and the excitement of everybody and um, then you were thrown in the terrain there were some artificial barriers out there not as many as we were predicting as a team it's quite technical on the longer legs but the short short legs it was really quite simple it was just you know pick a route commit to the route go for it so uh, we started off with joe shepherd first leg a pretty consistent run from joe you know i don't think she made any major mistakes but she kept pushing all the way through to the end and um i think i'm not sure the exact position she was back in but i think it was around about a minute and a half down on Alexanderson, but she had a gap on everyone else anyway. Yeah, so. she had a 40 second gap on the rest of the field at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was stupid how fast she ran, it was incredible. Yeah, it was ridic ridiculous the gap she could build because Joe said that she saw her at points and Alexanderson wasn't picking the best routes out there either, so she could have saved even more time. But it was, it, I think, after Alexanderson from second place, it was a constant stream of people kind of separated by one or two seconds, so it was just one long train that, that Joe was in. So Sasha was then set out on second leg pulled up a couple of places 
Um, Pete Bray was also running for a mixed team. He had Anna Backman from Sweden on first leg, so he was in the mix as well, giving Sasha a bit of a hair to chase down out there. This is extra motivation for him. Pulled up a couple of places, sent me out, I think, in around 19th or 20th. I stayed relatively the same. Um, only one small error for me, and then one going back to re-punch control with the emit tag. It, I saw it register on the backup, but I got a bit paranoid from it not registering at the JK, so kind of went back and did it again. Um, and then Meg, I think, had a really, really strong last leg, pulled up a few more places, and uh, seventh nation in the end. So exactly the same as our start position, which is good. Yeah, which was uh, based on what finished results, I think, the, the results from World Championships in the summer. So yeah, as, as expected, I think. Yeah, really nice and consistent, especially as I've not run a sprint relay internationally since 2016. Sasha's not done one since World Universities last year. Or maybe check World Cup last year, possibly. Okay, so still to come on uh, the podcast, we're going to have a little preview of Yukula. Uh, but before that, uh, let's go and have a chat with Sasha Chaplin. Sasha, welcome to the running. How are you doing? You've just had two pretty hard World Cup races. How yeah, are they? No, yeah, I'm just recovering, and yeah, no, I'm looking forward to be on this podcast. Excellent. So, well, we'll start with you know quite a basic question that we'll ask everybody as we go through. How did you first get into orienteering? Uh, what's kept you in the sport through to, to this point? Uh, yeah, so so it was the family influence. Um, I've got the older brother Oleg. He's 10 years older than me. He was well into his uh, junior career when I picked it up. Um, but what, some, of it, yeah, some of my earliest memories are sitting on my dad's back uh, whilst going around an orienteering course mm-hmm. that eventually led to being shadowed, uh, then eventually wanting to be kind of going around as an individual and that progressed into competing uh, selections and essentially here I am I guess. Yeah. So you're at Edinburgh University at the moment, you've just finished off your your undergrad degree, you're going into a PhD next year, um, you've been racing at an international level for I'm not sure how many years now, four or five? Yeah, uh, if you count world schools, that was maybe 14, 15, but my first EYOC was when I was uh, 15 years old, so six or seven years now, yeah. And you've raced Jaywalk, getting a couple of podiums there in in 2017, I think it was? Yeah, in 2017, yeah, I got onto the sprint podium in uh, in the same country that we're sitting in right now, actually, yeah. So good memories for you in in Finland, and you used to run for a Finnish team as well, Turin, Metz and Caveat. Yeah. when you were progressing yeah that was um that was linked i guess to this final jaywalk that i had though it was a bit of a coincidence because uh, i had that through scott fraser uh, one of my brother's good friends uh who ran for the club and who i then asked if there were any spaces for a tea meal at one point <laughs> yeah so let's just go off on a tangent there on that point so your brother's obviously quite a keen influence in you and and his friends in your orienteering career and they've clearly set you up well with that link to Turin Metz and Caveat and that training for that jaywalk and how that's set you up for in internationals now. Um, how do you think you know your brother's experience of orienteering and internationals has, has kind of helped you progress through? Well yeah he's always been those 10 years ahead of me essentially in the orienteering world so I remember at my first individual JK um, he won the junior class, I believe, and I, I won the M10 class through some <laughs> very strange results, thanks to Tim Morgan. Uh, and from that kind of point on, I, I began to be very interested in what he was doing those 10 years ahead of me. I didn't have very uh, much memory of it, but 
I do believe it kind of inspired me into the same pathway. It looked like good fun. That was the main thing. Uh, so I was very keen to follow on from his kind of experience and see what I could do essentially in his shoes. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really interesting because I've got a couple of brothers myself. So yeah, you always look to try and emulate your older brothers and and do what they do and and try and beat them and do it better as well, which I think is quite key for any any guy growing up to try and beat your older brother. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That was a very critical point when I when that began to happen. Yeah, it's a good moment I think. Yeah. Be beating your brother and beating your dad are two quite key moments. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, my dad came quite early on. Uh, in my in my junior career, my brother much more recently, yeah. Um, and then looking at yourself now, you, you're second year senior. You're moving through in this in the senior ranks domestically and internationally. You're self coached though, as far as I'm aware. You know, looking at your log and and how I know you, you don't use a coach. You you plan your own sessions and training and. Yeah, the way I guess I like to see it is that I have I have advisors. <laughs> uh, I have people that I've, I I respect opinions and I do take most of them on board, even though maybe I don't. I pretend that I don't, but they usually have very good points. Um, sometimes I uh, forecast them, sometimes I don't. Uh, but yeah, I do like to have advise advisors. I don't like to be told what to do session by session I, I think the so my I, the biggest advisor I have is my brother as we mentioned um, and his main um, his main purpose is to tell me not to overdo things rather than what to do actually do in the first place mm. yeah so just to rein you in slightly if if you're overtraining or doing a bit too much mileage or something yeah like that. yeah usually that kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah that's the general yeah. yeah so you do quite a little lot of mountain running as well in in there with your orienteering do you find that planning your training for that as well as the orienteering side of things keeps it quite fresh and that you can have quite a lot of control over it and you're not just following that rigid plan day to day and that keeps the enjoyment high yeah i think that 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 word enjoyment will probably keep coming up but that's that's the biggest part of it i found if i can enjoy my training then it becomes less of a task and for me that means running more up hills rather than uh, say on treadmills around parks i yeah i prefer to have a view prefer to kind of have that challenge prefer to have that downhill coming up which always makes things much more fun and especially when you have people to run with that's the kind of best that's my happy place yeah for sure and do you think you're gonna maybe transition into that side of things a bit more into going for a gb mountain running vest maybe in the next couple of years or you know try and get dual discipline going yeah that i think that'd be quite interesting i think mountain running in itself isn't too um, isn't too attractive to me. I think it, in in some ways, it's maybe a bit too fast for my liking. The courses aren't too technical. It becomes almost some kind of trail race with just steep climbs. Um, but fell running for sure. I do. I really enjoy the kind of domestic competitions we have in Scotland. I've recently kind of uh, discovered the Lake District for myself, um, having not really been there much until this year. Uh, so I hope to definitely become more involved with those races both as my training for orienteering but also as as you say a separate kind of uh pathway maybe in the future yeah and you did the jura mountain this is going off on a massive tangent now you did the jura mountain race a couple of weeks ago didn't you which is kind of a mythical race over the paps of jura out in the inner hebrides and it's got pretty pretty technical underfoot really rocky 
really tough terrain and you had a pretty good result there. Yeah, just no. Just got pipped by your training partner though. Yeah, yeah, no, oh, pipped is a, would be a nice word, but um, unfortunately, yeah, it was quite a few minutes in the end, but it was really, really nice to see Tim go ahead there. And yeah, Jura, it, it feels like the sort of essence of, orange, uh, sorry, the essence of hill running. Uh, it has a bit of everything on the race, but as you say, those kind of technical descents that are involved, you don't get anywhere else in the, in the world, let alone the country. Yeah. So do you think that's setting you up well for long distance orienteering in itself, just that physical you know, time on feet, time and terrain and, and the amount of hours you're having to put in for that? Yeah, I've always enjoyed the long distances, but as you say, uh, making this kind of bridge up to senior, suddenly you're running actually, let's say, maybe half an hour longer than you are as a junior and it does require an extra gel, maybe two extra gels, uh, an extra an extra gear essentially. And to be able to do, sustain that kind of racing mode for 100 minutes is quite a big ask um, of uh, young seniors wanting to bridge the gap. So, so yeah, that has definitely helped in that respect. That's quite interesting because I found it quite a struggle to bridge that gap for long distances at senior level, but I wasn't doing that amount of long distance hill running or, or fell running so it's probably looking back something that I could have improved on at a younger age and done more of that stuff to help complement it so I think you're in probably a very good spot going forward in the long distance because you've just got that massive base of of hill running there yeah but uh, then I think there are other I think there are also other ways to bridge the gap you do see people doing well at longs that don't particularly do much long training and I always kind of have respect for them because it must hurt a lot more for those people <laughs> such as yourself yeah. <laughs> oh god yeah my first senior long race was not a pleasant experience <laughs> completely bonked ran out of energy so yeah no, it's, it's taken time for me to learn how to race them as well so I think you've yeah. definitely got that over me <laughs> and then we're, as we're sat here you're in your Halden Ski Club a very nice sponsored gilet We've got Euclid next weekend. You know, running for Halden, you're in the team with some big names. You've got Olav Lundinez, Magna Dali. What's it like kind of competing against them for spots in teams, you know, on training camps with them? You know, obviously, multiple world champs medalists. How do you manage to get a lot of insight out of them for how you're going to progress in your career? It's funny, yeah, I, there's definitely the high level in Halden. I haven't been on too many training camps that have involved both Magna and Olaf. Um, Olaf recently uh, rejoined the club, having been in the Finnish um, and Rasti. Uh, but yeah, as you say, it does make it quite high stake. When you are going for those places, you feel like you can't really play around on those legs. You need to really deliver, uh, deliver it for those for those guys, so that they can chase the good position. The Halden do have a very relaxed uh, mantra, though they they never really. Uh, there's not too too much stress involved. It does feel like almost like a family team that you're entering for Eucla. So, so at the same time, it's it's not too bad. But at the back of your mind, you do realise these are the best guys in the world heading out on those last legs. So there's a little extra pressure then. Yeah, definitely. Just, yeah, yeah, definitely. Whereas whereas two may were wanting to break into those um kind of top ten places, say, uh, Halden have been there for the last generation. So you don't want that to end because of you i guess so it's a dynasty that you don't want to see crumble crumble at your feet at exactly. the end of that yeah exactly being british uh british or interior stereotypically doesn't help that sometimes as well yeah way to psych about will <laughs> yeah well it's just a competition now we're going from teammates on tuesday in the sprint relay to to uh, competitors at ukula on, <laughs> on uh, so i'll be running first leg for ifk leadinger and 
Sasha, you'll be on. Uh, yeah, I'm on. Um, I, I won't be in the first team, and maybe that's as much as I can say just now. I don't know uh, what the. I don't know what the. <laughs> the rules are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I always find it really great how the teams. Um, how the clubs announce their teams like it's really good on social media and there's a lot of like trying to guess what's going on beforehand so yeah I, it's quite often that people can't say what what's going on until it is officially announced <laughs> don't, 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 i'm allowed either now so you might have to just put a quack or something over what i said uh, <laughs> um so then let's look past eucala we've got what test race is coming up in halden place you lived last year when you're working there aiming for walk this year or or kind of hedging your bets a bit maybe not looking for it and looking for a bit more on the fells yeah well as you say uh i lived there for a good maybe seven months last year i think it would be foolish then to not at least uh try to run those races um i can't say i'll be very prepared i don't really plan to spend any time in halden say for the day before that first selection race um but as you say uh, i did a lot of training in the area neighboring the um, kind of selection race embargo so I, n I have a good idea what the terrain might be like I have a good idea of maybe the techniques involved so maybe maybe there's an outside chance but I think really just participating uh, participating in those races will be a good fun weekend mm. and hopefully the weather's nice because Halden's a good place to be when the sun shines <laughs> and then the next couple of years you've obviously a pretty good sprint orienteer as well you're in the sprint relay team here for World Cup tomorrow are you going to focus on walking Edinburgh, home world champs in 2022, sprint distance? You've been at Edinburgh Uni, where the races are going to be, you know? <laughs> you surely can't pass up that opportunity. Well, yeah, unfortunately, just because of my um, extended stay at Edinburgh University now for the next few years, I'll probably have to, yeah, disqualify myself from those races. <laughs> oh. I'll be I'll be breaking the embargo on a, on a daily basis, I believe, and I'll be chatting to the kind of event organization but I can't really see them um, fitting me into the, that that kind of embargo plan but we'll see I, I won't be breaking all the embargoes um, Harriet Watt I don't have any reason to go there so <laughs> so maybe I can do a race if that if that's used but yeah unfortunately I'll probably have to be a spectator for those races yeah well let's move on to um, Yukala actually let's do that but um, Sasha if you can stick around and we'll get your opinion on what you think uh, is going on um, but so Yukala uh, is like the biggest orienteering event in the calendar there's more than uh, 20,000 runners entered for this event this weekend uh, and there's two relays that go on Yukala which is seven man relay overnight and Venla which is a four woman relay um, in the daytime so Ven Venla happens first uh, the start time is uh, 2 p.m on Saturday that's local time so uh, noon uh, UK time winner expected about 5 p.m local time and then Yukala starts just before the sun sets uh, not that it sets for very long up here in Finland uh, it starts at 11 p.m. local time, and the winner, according to the website, 6:46 in the morning. They've they've predicted it down to the exact minute. Um, so 6:46 local time is when the seventh runner will come into the finish, and we'll get the winner. And as you guys have already hinted, it's incredibly competitive within the clubs. They people take it very seriously, but it's a it's kind of something different. I mean, it's definitely for us Brits and. Um, it's always a really good atmosphere. Uh, what do you guys know about the terrain for Yucala this year? 
I'm going to pitch to Sasha here. Uh, well, yeah, so I've, I've experienced Tampere terrain before. Um, it's not the nicest terrain in Finland, actually. Most people say it's some of the worst terrain in Finland, but I think that's from a toughness point of view. So, yeah, it will be tough. It'll be greener, greener than usual, maybe. It'll be rockier than usual. Actually, the maps I've looked at are covered, yeah. covered in rocks. So, yeah, incredibly technical when you're trying to wiggle your way through the almost like a maze yeah. going into the control site. And I think a lot of people are going to come off a bearing, hit the wrong rock be searching around there in the dark for minutes who are we looking out for in the uk who who've gone over there racing um of course chris and ralph came back in the leading spots after the first leg last year which was really incredible uh who's going out there this year there's always a good mix of of brits and english speakers on first leg probably because the clubs don't trust us so much when it gets to the real tough stuff in the in the night yeah it's hard to say when people haven't released their teams but i'd probably expect myself pete bray is racing at pete's racing for for navi finnish club peter hodgkinson is going to be over for it we'll have um as mcleod back as well he'll probably be on the later leg i would expect for ali he's he's normally a pretty reliable seventh leg runner Ralph Street will be there as well. Graham Griswood will be coming over. So most most guys from the GB team will be will be fighting for a spot, as well as some extras like Ben Mitchell. He'll be running for um, Ryman Rickmenti. Yeah, I agree with the consensus. There's lots of Brits on the first leg usually. I think maybe we can we can say from a positive side that we're usually faster than the Scandies, and you do need that extra leg speed on the first leg. Yeah, <laughs> calm heads as well. None of us. Yeah, we're all pretty calm. And what about some of the women going out there? So we'll have um, everyone who's currently out here with the GB team. Catherine Taylor will be running for OK Sudderton. Charlotte Watson for Lillemarker. Joe Shepard for Halden as well. We'll also have Jess Halday will be coming out probably to race for Domnavitz. As well as Meg Carter-Davis running for Ryan Rickmenti and probably probably a few others that I, I will have forgotten. But we'll find out on uh, on Saturday, everyone, everyone who is there. So both of you, uh, who are you expecting to perform very well? Who are your predictions for the races? I am going to take a, a wild card pick and go for IFK Gothenburg, who, who haven't won a lot in the last couple of years. Um, Team Miller, they were so far ahead of everybody else that with less people on the legs, they're going to get rid of the Deadwood, you know, what, what kind of strong Deadwood it is, and they're going to be racing pretty well agree that IFK have signed a few big names in the last year as well to adding to their already strong team I believe Kasper Fosser the kind of young Norwegian is is amongst them and he'll probably be in that first team but then again it's Kuvi it's kind of more home ground than IFK they'll be training on uh, more relevant areas for more and at more occasions than yeah IFK uh, but I also want to add from a slightly biased point of view that Olaf is now back in Halden as you say, some of the weaker runners that may be in the Team Miller teams won't have to be there anymore with only seven legs. So we'll see if they can improve on their third place at, at um, Team Miller, which was somewhat unexpected from um, yeah, from my point of view. Do you have a wild card pick that you want to throw in there? Just just someone completely out of out of the blue who can get a top five podium. Yeah, I, I always like a dark horse, and I've always been hoping that the kind of Becca Largets will come out of come out of somewhat nowhere after the last few years of low kind of hundreds I think at, at best um, but with recent signings of obviously Ralph and Speaky from the British side uh, Oystein Kvall Osterbo 
Carl Kodaga Cass, and then a few other hopefuls, I think. Henry McNulty from Australia as well. Yeah, they've recruited really well over the last winter and they've got a big drive to try and push the club up the results board. So, yeah, definitely a good one to watch. I think OK Ravinen will try and look to climb the board slightly. I think they were about top 20 last year. And yeah, uh, they did very well last year. And, yeah, it's it's always amazing how, how well they do almost. Um, I think they've got a really good kind of close-knit community and that does help their team. But, yeah, I agree. Most people laugh them off. But I think they, they've been proving them wrong recently. I'm going to go for Tampere Perinto, though, to, to maybe get a surprise podium. It's home terrain. Johan Runesen is going to transfer from them next year to IFK Lidinger. So we'll see how he can go and see if he can pull it out, out for the boys in red. Any thoughts on Venla? Venla, I can't really see past Tove Alexanderson leading Storatuna into a, a win. Can you, Sash? Yeah, I agree. With her recent results, it does seem like as long as she starts maybe up to 10 minutes behind first place on the last leg, she could probably reel it in. Yeah, I mean, again, Tampere Perunzo have a very strong women's team. They won Team Miller in pretty dominant fashion. They're going to lose a runner. I'm not sure who they would cut from the team. They've got Simona Abbasold and, and Venlaharu, who are going to be their two pivotal legs in that team. But I think they're, they're going to put up a fight for Storatuna, but... Again, with Storatun losing one runner from the Team Miller team, that puts them in an even better position and maybe it makes Tampere that little bit weaker that Storatun might just edge it. Well, we will see. You can watch uh, the English web TV commentary uh, if you want to go and pay 18 euros for that. Unfortunately, you won't get yours truly on the commentary team, um, but it's certainly you'll get, be able to see all the races if you wanted to buy that or follow on the split times and everything into and throughout the night um so that is uh, everything for the second episode of the run-in thank you so much for listening um you can of course follow us on both twitter and facebook uh on facebook and twitter we are at the run-in pod so please do give us a follow and um let us know what you think uh, next episode we will have all the fallout from yukola and uh, looking forward to the walk selection races on the first weekend of july as well and seeing who we think from the British team is going to make, make the cut.